0: You're listening to Preston's Poetry Podcast. In the last episode, I talked about how rhyme can help make poems catchy. The fact that they're catchy helps the reader carry it with them gives them a sort of hook to draw them deeper into the recesses of the poem. In this episode, I want to talk about form. To be specific, I want to introduce you to sonnets. It's a rather difficult thing to explain, so I've picked a really nice one that's full of rhyme to follow last episode. One of the ways that poetry is different from, say, novels is that it's often written in a predetermined framework, a form. Poets will use that framework if it fits what they're trying to say. Think of it like product packaging. If I have a diamond ring, I want to package that in a certain kind of box. Eggs, on the other hand, don't really work in that same kind of box. Eggs need these weird-shaped little places to sit safely. So, for those eggs to fit in their own little spaces, you have to design these boxes to be so large, so small, so deep, so wide, etc. The packages have to be formed so that the eggs fit comfortably in there. Poetry forms work a bit like that too. Not all things fit in the same packages. Some forms, like the sonnet form, have seemed to work over and over again for similar tasks, The sonnet form, then, is like the standard cardboard box, the business card, the envelope. Of course, there are different kinds of boxes, cards, envelopes, but the standard purpose and use is the same. Sonnet form is usually taught as a series of lines with stresses and rhyme patterns, but I think it could be simpler than this. I say, there are two main types of sonnet forms, three-group sonnets and two-group sonnets. Three-group sonnets generally make a statement, then disagree with that statement, and then the last stanza will find a solution to that disagreement. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Two-group sonnets will make a statement, and then comment on that statement. This is called the volta. Poet Billy Collins calls this the turn in general, where poems of all sorts, not just sonnet writers, will and taking things in an unexpected direction. Today's poem is a two-group sonnet. It makes a statement and then takes a turn in an unexpected direction. It's probably the most well-liked of the poems I've shared up to now. It's the all-time favorite poem of novelist Ray Bradbury, author of Fahrenheit 451. And it's a really innovative poem for its day, that is still researched constantly, despite the fact that it's only ten and a half lines. That's right, ten and a half. Ten and a half. A half line. It's Pied Beauty by Gerard Manley Hopkins. It was written in 1877, but it wasn't published until 1917, after Hopkins' death. Hopkins was a Jesuit priest and missionary in Wales, and his poems seem to try to resolve this tension of universal eternal dogma and the beauty of the everyday world of living human beings again the poem is pie beauty and it celebrates things that are dappled spotted freckled and that just have these small spots and imperfections it's old though and the older a poem is the more likely that it's extremely dense from what i've shared up to now i actually think this is a good thing so we'll be unpacking it a bit today in the first instance, though, just have a listen to enjoy all these gorgeous rhymes. This is Pied Beauty by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple color as a brinded cow, for rose moles, all in a stipple upon trout that swim. Fresh fire coal, chestnut falls, finch's wings. Landscape plotted and pieced, fold, fallow and plow, and all trades their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. Man, Hopkins' use of rhyme is so pretty. There's a lot of initial rhyme. Glory be to God, for skies of couple color. Fickle, freckled. Swift, slow, a dazzle, dim. He fathers forth. There's even internal rhyme. The O of rose moles. And the T and I of all in a stipple upon trout that swim. For skies as a brinded cow. He ends the line with who knows how, and the next line with swift, slow, no, slow, both occurring pretty close to each other in the middle of the line. And of course, there's the end rhyme, dappled things, Finch's wings, branded cow, who knows how, fold, fallow, plow, trout that swim, tackle and trim, a dazzle dim, praise him. Hopkins loves to play with these rhymes hyphenating words like couple color, meaning having two colors, couple color, fresh fire coal, followed by chestnut falls. In doing so, he creates this symphony of rhyming. We can't get but a few words in without being tickled with initial rhyme, sung to by end rhyme, and mesmerized by internal rhyme. And that helps his point. Remember that this is a two-group sonnet, he first makes a statement and then comments on it. In the first stanza, he praises God for things with little spots, dappled things. Skies that have two colors, like the orange of an evening cloud against the darkening blue. Little pink spots, rose moles, all in a stipple upon trout that swim. The chestnuts popping out embers from a roasting fire. Finch's wings. At this point, we're expecting him to continue a list of natural things with freckles then maybe something more abstract, but the first stanza isn't even over yet. He already expands it. He goes on to mention farm landscapes, where one plot is freshly planted with little spots of fresh plants, the one beside it left alone, and some plowed and ready. Then, every craft, every trade, and all the diversity of tools and gear of those trades, and tackle and trim. Now, that is the statement. He's already expanded this diversity from skies of two colors all the way to kinds of farmland and all human work and their tools. Then we get to the second stanza. In this stanza, in sonnet form, the poet takes that turn, the volta, and will then make some kind of commentary. He goes on to praise God for anything counter, original, spare, strange. Everything that goes against the norm, it doesn't matter how. Whatever is fickled, freckled, who knows how. Then whether it's swift or slow, sweet or sour, a dazzle or dim. The next line then praises God for the fact that just about everything is dappled and unique. Quote, He fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. Ah, but here's the thing. There's the half line. Praise him. Now, without getting too detailed... Hopkins actually cut a normal sonnet form to a fraction of what it was before. And in doing so, he's left with this half-line, a half-line, an incomplete phrase. And in that half-line, it reads, praise him. The last line is itself a little imperfection, an oddity. And yet, that's what causes him to give praise. Now, all the while, these tickling little initial rhymes, the lovely beats and changing of beats, Show that beautiful diversity of the earth and of human life alike. Ending with the very point of praise him in an incomplete, imperfect little line. Let's hear it again. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple color as a branded cow, for rose moles all in a stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire cold chestnut falls, finches wings, landscape plotted and pieced, fold, fallow, and plow, and all trades their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange. Whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. I don't want to get too much into beats and stresses and all the rules around sonnet forms. Plus, most modern poets don't really use the strict old sonnet form like we used to. But sonnets generally work as a way to offer commentary or to settle an argument. In this one, Gerard Manley Hopkins drives us from appreciating the natural beauty of pretty skies to trout to the wings of birds to farmland and on to everybody everywhere, both strange and normal, shining or dull. If you want to try it, I wouldn't start by looking up beat patterns and sonnet rules. First focus on setting up some kind of rhyme pattern, and make a two- or three-group poem trying to comment on an idea or settle an argument. First stanza, the statement, and the second, a commentary. Take a turn at the end in an odd direction that we don't expect so we can see things as we never saw them before. Hey y'all, Preston here. Thanks for tuning in. My favorite line of today's poem was, For rose moles all in a stipple upon trout that swim. Tell me your favorite lines or ask me stuff on Preston's Poetry Podcast Instagram or Facebook page or via the website, com. We'll see y'all.